Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by senior pastor Clint Shambler. He is preaching from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Last week, the epistles of John, the Johannine epistles, uh, walked us through what the gospel looks like. John, in chapter 3, begins this incredible, incredible story. He, he comes off of declaring what is not part of the church, how people have left because of their certain selfish desires, what they wanted to see happen in a community. And God says, no, 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 you can't do that. And John says, please hold to the the apostles' teaching, hold to what is good, hold to what is lovely. And then he launches into the gospel account. Talked last week, what is sin? What is a Christian? How do you know? And many of you had lots of questions of what that looks like. What is faith? What is the gospel? It was a great reminder. Today, we begin launching into, there's more to come, but we begin launching into the actions of a Christian. There's, there's, the, there's the thought, there's a belief, there's a feeling, and then the assurances. How do you know you're a Christian? Uh, let me show you. You do certain things. Here are certain actions that you can confirm in and of yourself that you, in fact, would like this Jesus guy to take over your life. And last week, I invited, John invited us, to be in complete and total submission to God. His way, not our way. His words, not our words. His thoughts, not our thoughts. His feelings, not our feelings. And that's tough to come under complete authority. And I I mentioned that either you want all of Christ or what Christ will actually say to us is you take all of me or none of me. You don't get to cherry pick what you want of me. Either you want relationship with me or you don't want relationship with me. And how does that play out? How does that work? How do we become in submission to the king of kings? It's it's admittedly, can I just, friends, let me encourage you. That's hard. And instantly when I say, let us have complete submission to Jesus, let me follow his words, not my words, his opinions, not my opinions. He doesn't have opinions. I have opinions. And all of a sudden, we have a problem with that in society. And if you don't think we have a problem, let me try to extrapolate what that problem is. For many of us, we might hear, oh, so you're, pastor, you're one of those, you're one of those fundamentalists. You're one of those zealots. You're one of those crazy people. Well, I, I don't know. That's for you to determine. I don't know what those words exactly mean. But we'd have a problem because if we were to go take a survey, let's say, I was going out in the world and say, hey, world, what do you think about Christians that say we submit to God's authority, not our own? Here's my guess. It's not really a guess. I've done this, and also there's data to back it up. If we were to say that, people would respond to us, well, there's been horrible tragedies that have happened because of that belief, Pastor. The church has unspeakable crimes that have been committed on behalf of fundamentalism or or, or whatever word you want to put into that, believing that God's way is the only way. There's horrible things that have happened. It sounds zealous, passionate militant, militant fundamentalism, and many people would point to, well, here's, here's what the church has done damaging to sexuality or to gender or to abuse or to authority. Ah, and, and, and they would say, we don't like that. And I would say, okay, I, I, I hear that. I understand that. And my retort back to them, and this comes from Kathy Keller, who says, 
fundamentalism is the problem. We need to do away. Pastor, you, you can't have us all believe that Jesus' words are the only way and my way doesn't matter. That's, that's horrible. Fundamentalism is the problem. And Kathy Keller would ask, and I would ask, I would, I would follow her suit. I'd say, well, it depends on what we're fundamental for, right? If we're fundamental for our own way, our own thoughts, then yes, horrible destruction, horrible habits, horrible things will inevitably take place. Because uh, I, I used this example earlier with somebody I was speaking with. Um, if I was judge, jury, and executioner for Chicago, um, all y'all who don't use the right blinker turning right, I would throw in jail. Like on the spot, instantaneously, I would rip off your door. I would say, you're all going to jail right now, right this second. Meaning, here's what this should tell you. I shouldn't be a judge is what that should indicate to you because I'd be litigious on it. I would be so hardened because that's my opinion that this is a horrible crime. Now, is it? No. It's annoying, but it's not a horrible crime. It, it is, in fact, against the law. <laughs> I just want to make sure that's stated. It's not an opinion. That's on the books. Must turn. Okay, never mind. When we say we come underneath Jesus' law, we think, oh, you church have cherry-picked what to be against and what for. And to a large degree, people are correct. We have. It's, it's a fair criticism. However, what if we were to be fundamentalists of First John 11 through 23, 24? What if we were to be fundamental on the gospel and then its actions and then its repercussions and then its consequences? All of a sudden, if I were to tell people, yes, you're right, my opinions have, have horrible, horrible consequences in the world. What if I gave up my opinions and what if I followed the Bible in totality because the Bible in totality is God's word and his word is good and his word will not return void. It is good for us. All of a sudden, what I'm fundamental for shifts and changes. Today, I want to show you that, yes, we might have a problem when I say come underneath Jesus' total authority and his word and his church, and you say, ooh, that's hard. Friends, I know it's hard. I really, I really do. I have problems with that as a pastor. <gasps> I know. And yet, God's way is better than my way. I want to show you the only way you'll say that, the only way you'll come under complete authority that John tells us is if you see the following. If you see that the gospel is a gift, a mission, and motivation, you will only come under complete fundamental thought that Jesus' way is better than your way if you see the gospel as a gift, a mission, and a motivation. If you see those, submitting to him will become easy. Let me show you. First, it's a gift. First John chapter 3 tells us that un to be under his authority, to be under God's authority, his way, not ours, you'll only do so if you see Jesus's salvation to you and I, not as something that is deserved, not as something that is owed, not as something that even you possessed or created or thought of, but rather if it's a gift that we receive. Now, let me unpack this a little bit. You might ask, what do you mean, Pastor? How, 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 does, how does receiving the gospel as a gift change things? John uses Cain as an example. As a matter of fact, later on, we're going to talk about the entirety of the Old Testament, how John and other biblical authors reference the Old Testament constantly. One of the things that John does here is he references Cain to talk about someone who's not in the gospel. 
okay? So let's study him. Let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 14 says, whoever does not love abides in death. John says, if you have life, it means you have love. However, if you, have, if, if you don't have love, you don't abide in life. You actually abide in death. And he gives Cain as the example. So death equals no life. And, and, and the Bible really understands that more as to say uh, no gospel. If you have death, it means no life. And no life means no gospel. That's how the Bible equates it. That's how John equates it. And what he says, what he's talking about when he says Cain, is this in Genesis 4. He's referencing something that's already happened. In Genesis 4, there's a story of two brothers. Now, this comes off the heels of creation account, Adam and Eve sinning, leaving the garden, going outside. And all of a sudden, we stumble across these two brothers. Now, um, this should definitively show you that vegetarianism is not biblical whatsoever, uh, that eating meat is the glorious thing. I know, that's, that's called bad theology, what I just did right there, church, okay? Uh, no, this is not talking about vegetarianism versus one of the brothers was a, a field worker. He had plants, and one of them was a butcher. He was a, a shepherd that brought God meat, uh, and one is better than the other. Don't believe that. That's a lie. Um, no matter what Pastor Abe says, don't believe that. Um, what happens is Cain comes, and he gives a gift to God, and Abel comes and gives a gift to God. Now, this is, again, right off the heels. They all leave the garden. They're all outside. Family's happening. Brothers come. They give a gift to God. Now, it's really, really interesting because it just says very briefly in Genesis 4, in that day, people were sacrificing. People were worshiping God. That's all it says. But before this, we have no instructions on how people worship God. There's, later on in the Old Testament, we come to something called the tabernacle, the temple. There's, there's laws. There's priests. There's a whole structure. There's a whole parade of ways to worship God. But right now, Cain and Abel, there's, there's no preset on how to worship. And yet, they somehow understand that they are to bring sacrifices before God. What happens in uh, Genesis 4 is that Abel brings a sacrifice and Cain brings a sacrifice. And Abel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's is not. And that's all it says. And we look at it and we go, well, hold on a second. Why wasn't Cain's accepted and Abel's accepted? It doesn't really tell. It doesn't really explain. It doesn't go down into, you say, well, you know, Cain did a horrible thing and he cut the meat wrong and he didn't, or he brought the plant that wasn't the meat or it wasn't his best fruit, first fruits. It doesn't say any of that. It just says, not accepted, accepted. Now we get a couple of clues as to why. A couple of clues, but it's not explicit. Here are some of the clues. Some of the clues is, are Abel's is accepted, and then Cain is not, and Cain turns on his brother. Cain goes to his brother. He hates his brother. He blames his brother. He compares himself to his brother, and he says, he must be the problem. I wasn't accepted because of somebody else. My gift wasn't accepted because he's the problem. He, he showed me up. He compared himself. He contrasted himself, and he blamed somebody else. This should give us some indication. And then he goes and he murders his brother. He kills his brother. And God says, where's your brother? And he says famously, what am I, my brother's keeper? And God says, oh, the ground cries out. The blood I hear, the blood spilled. And here's what, here's what commentators and here's what people, here, here's the clues we get. 
Cain's actions, his hatred, his blaming, his finger-pointing, his comparison, his killing, his murdering, started off somehow, and we don't know exactly why because God doesn't explain it fully, but the sacrifice was rejected because Cain's heart more than likely wasn't in it. And how do we know? Look at his life. Look at what Cain did after he sacrificed, after he brought a gift to God. He said to himself, God should have accepted my gift. And because he didn't, I will take vengeance. I will take anger. I will act in accordance that is not of God. And what we must say, at minimum, what this is telling us and what John is pointing out is if you're a gospel-believing person, if you want Jesus more than you want yourself, if you want God's authority more than yourself, when you are corrected, Cain was corrected by saying your sacrifice isn't pleasing, you won't blame, you won't explain, and you won't become malicious towards somebody else. You, Cain should have stopped and said, why isn't accepted, God? Help correct me. Help teach me. Help show me the error of my way. But he didn't do that, did he? He became angry. He became vengeful. He became attacking, and he lashed out. See, what we must say about this gift, about the gospel, is to be in such a position in which you're taking life, in which you're acting in not accordance with God's law, with who God is, it first starts as a heart posture. Cain's gift was not accepted because God knew. Friends, would you admit that sometimes when you act benevolently, when you're serving somebody else, it's not actually for them, it's for you. Would you have the audacity to admit that? And on the outside, it looks pleasant, doesn't it? <laughs> on the outside, it looks great. You're serving, you're doing great. You're, you're giving of your time, your energy, your money, your body. But it's actually not for them, it's for you. You want the accolades. Go on any university campus. Why are wings named after people? Well, this is such and such wing. I'm like, okay, because they gave money, they get a wing named after them? Well, yes, they were very generous. No, they weren't. <laughs> That's their name, etched, literally etched in stone. Well, we want to honor them. Then it wasn't a gift. Let me say that again. If you necessitate recognition for what you do, it's not a gift. It's selfish. It's for yourself. It's for something that you get based upon a contract that you give. Cain was rejected, and he thought, I gave you something, God. Now you must do something for me. Do you see? And the second that God said, I don't accept it, he said, how dare you? God? Church, friends, can we admit we might have a little Cain in us? That when we do something good for God, we expect, we look back and say, God, you should do this for me now. I've, I've been good my whole life. I followed your laws. I followed your morals. I, I didn't have sex before marriage. I didn't do drugs. I got my college degree. I have a good job. I go to church every week. My life should be better than it is. Do you believe that? Are you tempted to believe that? Because if you're tempted to believe that, that's what Cain was tempted to do. 
Because ultimately, Cain did not believe that his relationship with God, his gift to God was a gift. He thought it was contract. I gave my money, now give me what I want. I gave my time, now give me what I want. Give me acceptance based upon what I do. Do you see? Do you see how Cain was the beginning of works righteousness? Friends, how do you do the same today? I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I, there are moments when I'm tempted. I, I've, been, I've been very forthright on my introvertedness. Um, my wife looked at me this week and was like, you need to go by yourself right now. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm being a punk to you, that means. Like, that means translation, I'm being short and crass. Okay, great. Because when I'm around a lot of people, I, I, just, I just need that. Oh, man, I'm, 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 I'm dying. And in those moments, in those times in which something doesn't go my way, I will look to God and say, God, don't interrupt my day. I'm trying to, I'm trying to prepare a sermon for you, God. What better, what better thing is there than that to proclaim your word? You, God, make the red line come on time for me. I deserve it. He did not give me that gift this week several times. The second I think what I do for you, God, gets me good things, it's no longer faith, the gospel, and God's relationship is no longer a gift. It's something he owes me. And if he owes me that, I'm in a power play relationship with him. Do you see? God will tell, God will tell me, God will tell you, I don't do contracts. I do covenants. If you think that your good works gets you good things, if you think your intellect, your morals your heritage, your lineage, your actions gets you good things, you don't know me. Because I don't work that way. Because he will say what John is explaining to us. What, we're, what bringing up Cain represents to us is this. If you think good things gets love from me, then what happens when you do bad things? Hmm? If giving good things to God gets you good things, then shouldn't the corollary be when you do bad things, he gives you bad things? And we say, well, yes, that makes total sense. Okay, friends, we should all be dead. How much of the time do you do good things in your day? Is it outweighed the bad things? We say, well, I don't do X, Y, and Z. No, 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 I didn't say you don't do X, Y, and Z. I said... Have you done good? And if not, then doesn't God, don't you deserve, shouldn't you be dead? And that's why it's a beautiful gift that God says, I'm not going to treat you contract. I'm going to treat you covenant. Or I'm going to give you things you don't deserve. Why? Because if you did deserve them, then I'd have to give you the punishment. And I don't want to punish you. Friends, don't make God contract with you. Don't do it. Uh, my boys are getting to the age where they think they're big and tough, and I'm old, and they think I'm weak. And so they'll be like, Dad, let's arm wrestle. And I'm like, you don't want to do that. And they're like, yeah, I do. I'm like, okay. And they put their arm up, and I poof, slam it on the table. <laughs> and they're like, ow! I'm like, well, you asked for it. <laughs> don't ask for it. <laughs> Church, don't ask God to go full bore with you. He'll destroy us. Receive a gift. Don't ask him to judiciously be with you because we judiciously deserve death, and it's a gift that we're not given it. 
That's point one. Point two, the mission. Once we understand it's a gift and we shouldn't say, God, you must do, or God, you should do, or God, you ought do. The second those are out of your way, the second those are gone from your vocabulary, you receive it as a gift. You understand that his love is a gift. The second thing we must understand is his gift has a mission. And this is where things have gone wrong, I think, in American Western church, if I can critique that for a second. And not just Western church, but actually this is in the New Testament. This happened for John's Asia Minor Church. If we don't think God's gospel is a gift, we will not do the mission of God. If we don't think God's gospel is a gift to us, we will not do the mission of God. If we are on the mission of God, it's because we know it's a gift from us that we must give to others. Authority is good because it's given to us, and therefore, therefore, we must do something with it. Like I said, John uses Old Testament a lot. He used Cain as an example. And that should get us thinking, what, what is the law, or what is obedience, what is submission to a king, what does it look like in the Old Testament? What has always been there? I want to give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament of what this coming under authority of God, what it's supposed to produce. We're not just under the authority of God just so that we can say we are, or so we can get things. It actually produces something. Last week I gave the example of a runner running a race. You, you beat your body so that you can accomplish the race. That's why you beat your body. And those who beat their body just for the sake of beating their body, we need to talk. There's, there's something not right with that. You do so so you can train and then complete something. When we come under the authority of God, it's not just for the sake of coming under authority. It's for a mission. Here's what the Old Testament says. Exodus 19 tells us that we are to be a kingdom of priests. That's what God calls us. He says, you, my people, Israel, will become a kingdom of priests. Now, it's, it's very unique. It's very, very unique that he would say that. And I want to explain it a little bit more. When God says, you, my people, will be a kingdom of priests, how you act and how you live and how you submit yourself to me will make you priestly a kingdom of them to the world. Here's what priests were in the Old Testament. Here's what priests are in the New Testament. Uh, the priestly role of a pastor is to build, build connection, build bridges between God's people and God. Now, it's not the only way to do so, but it's one of the ways. What God was saying to his people in Exodus 19 is, you are going to be a shining light to all the world to bridge them and I together. Because you know me, let others know me as well. And how will they do so? By how you act, by how you love. One of the things that the Old Testament teaches us time and time and time again is if you follow law, if you submit yourself, if you behave a certain way, it's to show other people Christ. Um, if I was to ask a very silly question, it, is, it seems very silly. Why do we sing at church? Right? There's a couple of answers to this. One, we want to praise God. Yes, it's, it's a natural outpouring. We want to heap praise on God because of the gift he's given us. Yes, 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 yes. But there's a second corollary aspect of praising and worshiping and singing to God. And that's if people witness us singing to God, they can't help but be moved by it. And they go, you're finding something beautiful. What do you find beautiful? If you love a piece of art, a piece of music, a restaurant, if you do this, please keep doing it. But you go to your friend and you're like, you won't believe this piece of art. You won't believe this CD. You won't believe this restaurant I just had. And how do you, 
How do you convince somebody else of how good it is? You speak its praises, don't you? If you went to a new restaurant, I'm like, how was the restaurant? I'm like, meh, it was good. I liked it. You should go. Like, nope, not going there. If you said, yeah, you should listen to this CD. It's very innovative and fun, and I liked it a great deal. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time. But if you sing exaltation about it, if you're praising it, do you know what that's going to make me do? Go, oh. Oh, it elicited a response in you. That's the mission of God's, our obedience to him is that he's so good, I will submit myself. And people go, why would you limit yourself in life? That makes no sense to me. We have somebody who's training for a marathon right now, and I'm like, why are you wasting your time running? There's a car right here. And they say, well, I, I, I enjoy it. And the more they speak to me on it, the more that they say the runner's high, which y'all lying to me, like that doesn't exist. <laughs> Let's say hypothetically it does exist. It's the one thing that I go, hmm, maybe there's something to this. And I look at them and I go, you really are committed to this because of how it makes you feel. Yes, it does something in me. We submit ourselves to God because in doing so, we don't have to, and we're showcasing other people. He's so good, I will limit myself because he's a gift to me, not because I have to. And they go, tell me more about this Jesus. Bridge building. Psalm 1849 says, we will praise you among the nations, Lord. Among the nations, I will praise you. We limit ourselves, we control ourselves, we submit ourselves so that people know who he is. Malachi 1.11 says, my name will be great among the nations. All the time, God is constantly saying, by how you act, you are witnessing. By how you act, you are witnessing. By how you act, you are witnessing. What the gospel says is, if you've received a gift, you can't just say it in thought, in theory, and in intellect. You must be moved by it. And if you're not moved by it, if you don't change your actions because of it, something's missing. Something is missing. Verses 16 and 17 of 1 John 3 says, whoever has good goods and chooses in his heart to close his heart is in death. What is John saying here? What's John saying is, if you're a Christian and you have goods, which you do, you have something, and you say, nah, I'm not going to give to anybody. It's my, this is mine. This is, this is my thought. This is my intellect. These are my emotions. This is my property. This is my job. This is my community. This is my home. The second you say that and you close off to other people who need something is the second that John says you're in death. Do you see what he's saying? He doesn't say, as later on, we're going to get to an example of how this plays out in the New Testament. He doesn't say, just because you think good thoughts, that's, that's all you need. No. You need to walk the walk, as they say. You need to have a mission. If you don't have a mission, you don't have a gift. If you have a gift, you have a mission. So friends, let me ask you, are you on mission? Here's what the Bible is instructing us, and here's my caution to you. My caution, friends. If you're not on mission, do you really have a gift? Because if you have something, there are plenty of people in need Mainly, they're going to hell and dying. Biggest need. Also need, do you have more money than the average Joe? 
Do you have more time, more energy, more food, more water, and you're not giving it? You're not being stewardship with it? You're not being generous with it? You think it's yours, not God's. Therefore, you think he owes it to you. Don't do that, friends. Oh, don't do that. The most gospel-centered people are the most generous people. The most gospel-centered people are the most generous people. As an example of this, uh, hospitals today, med students, hit the bingo card. I'm talking about hospitals again. Hospitals today, do you know where they came from? Do you know where they started from? Not the medical practice and medical study. That's different. Hospitals. Institution of free care for the public. Fourth and fifth centuries in monasteries. Each monastery that was built during that time was required to have a hospital attached to it in which the surrounding community could come for health care. The church understood because of God's gift, I must, oh, I must give freely. I must give freely. They understood. Verse 16 says, we ought to lay down our life for another just as he did. Now, church, this is the mission of God, and it's not easy, and we won't do it unless we see it as a gift in which you become less and he becomes more, in which other people are promoted above you. Do you see how Cain's competitiveness comes back into play? (laughs) His gift was accepted. Mine wasn't. I feel shame and guilt and horridness. I need to take him down. God says, nope. You become less, they become more. Do you see? That's the mission of the church. And if you don't have that mission, if you don't have that, don't try to force it upon yourself. It'll never work. What must you do to have a mission? You must see it as a gift first. That's what John tells us. Lastly, it leads to this, proper motivation. If you try to do something good, for doing good's sake. It'll never work. It'll be horrid. It'll be awful. It'll end in bloodshed for you and for other people. If you think you're going to interact with somebody, how many of you, let's not raise the hands right now. Okay. How many of you have awful dating relationships? Said everybody, right? Okay, good. How many of you had a dating relationship in which somebody else entered the relationship and said, I'm going to change them? How has that worked out for you? Pretty bad, right? You don't enter a relationship saying, uh, I'm going to change them. You enter a relationship with somebody because you say, I find them compelling and I want to serve them. That's why you find a relationship with somebody. I find them compelling and I want to be with them. I want to be in a relationship with them and I will serve them as they serve me. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to, I'm not going to force them. That's unloving. If you try to do that with God, it's going to end horribly for you. God, how he motivates us is by saying, look at the gifts I give you. Come to my table, eat, come to my table, drink, come to me, I will protect you. Come to me, I will care for you. And because he cares for us, we can trust him to be a coach, to be a father, to instruct us, to correct us. And he doesn't force it, he invites us. And if we don't want it, he says, no harm, no foul. You don't have to take it. I want you. I don't need you. Church, let me say that again because I hope that frees some of us, friends. God does not need you. He's full up. What do you have that's not a treasure trove of heavenly creatures 
that sing praise about him literally every second. I know we have some good voices in the congregation, but you're not that good. He doesn't need you. He wants you. And if you don't want him, he's not going to force it because he's going to say, okay, I invite you. My, my life, my gift is better than the gifts that you have. My way is better than the way that you have. But I can only invite you into it. Now, to get there, to understand that, there's a little muddy part of John chapter, 1 John chapter 3. It's verses 20 and 21. It says, Whoever, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And then it says, Beloved, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And here's why it's a little fuzzy, and here's why it's a little weird. Commentators don't know exactly what John's trying to say. It, it, John, admittedly, if you ever read the Gospel of John, he's not like the rest of the Gospels. Okay, let me just put it that way. It's like strapping yourself to a rocket ship and lighting a firework and just blasting off into space. It's kind of bonkers. The rest of them are, are very logical and very orderly, and it, and it goes through a way, and, it's, and John just comes out of the gate. In the beginning was the word. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? I'm, PBS documentary is happening right now. I'm in the planetarium, and there's stars shooting all over the place. Admittedly, John gets a little meta, okay? I think, I think this is what he is saying. It's, it's a little muddy, but we can pull out a couple of things. John says, if you don't help people, you're not a Christian. Okay, and you should say, Pastor, that's really hard because the next question you should ask is, how often and how much should I help people to necessitate me helping people? All right, that's what rules are, correct? You want to understand expectations. So your boss says, do a good job or you're fired. And you're like, okay, what's a good job? John says, if you don't love people, if you don't give to people, you're not a Christian. You say, how much? 10%, 20%, 90%, how much is enough, right? This is the rich young ruler again. God says, follow my decrees. I followed all of them. Give everything you have. Whoa. See, I think what John is doing here is this, and maybe I could sum it up by just simply this example. Let's say I call it the bat phone because there used to be such a thing as a bat phone. Um, now let's call it, VR, AI, head, I don't know what to call it. You have an earpiece directly to God, okay? And you know for a fact it's directly to God. You, there's no question. It's a direct link to God the Father Almighty. And you pick it up and you say, hey, God, it's me. And he goes, great. I need you to, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank of what he would ask you to do. Would you ever say, no, God, that's too much to ask of me. Clint, I need you to get on a bus and go to Tulsa and live there. That's a lot. Have you been to Oklahoma? It's a lot, God. If you're from Oklahoma, I apologize. There's one person I know from Oklahoma, and I, I immediately regret saying that because now I, they're probably here. Sorry. Hey, go to Roseville, Clinton. There, there's my hometown in California. There we go. That'd be a lot. Would I ever say, no, God, you can't ask me to do that? Hey, Clint, give all of your bank account to this person. No, God, I can't. They don't deserve it. What are they going to do with it? They may, they may put it into their arm. They may drink it out of a bottle. I can't give all my money to them. 
They're not being good stewards with it. See, I think what John is saying, what he's trying to convey is this. Is there anything that God could ask you to do that you would say no to because it's too much of him to ask? And if that's the case, oh, church, if that's the case, please listen. If you are tempted to say, no, God, you you can't ask that of me. What he says is this. What he's trying to say by condemnation and your heart and assurance, he's saying this. Our hearts know that we could always give a little more, don't they? Don't you always think that? Oh, I could, I could work a little harder. I could give a little more. I could be a better friend. And God says, of course you can. But you'll die under that weight. It'll crush you. Church, is there anything else that Jesus Christ can do for, to save you and to forgive your sin? No. See, what John is trying to say is we will always be shame and guilt that we will always think there's something more to do. Therefore, we will never become what we should be. Good thing that Christ already did everything possible for us to be with him. He's assuring us. He's bringing us comfort. He's saying your hearts will condemn you when you don't do the good thing. And you will think to yourself, I could always do more. I could always be better. And what God is saying, what John is saying, what Christ is saying is stop. Stop that thinking. Of course you're not ever going to be good enough. I'm not asking you to be good enough because I sent my son to be good enough for you. That's the assurance. That's the comfort. We will never be good enough, and we know that we'll never be good enough. And if you keep acting like you can ascend to goodness, you will die. Oh, church, you'll be exhausted. Quite frankly... Quite frankly, if you think you have to do more good things to be called good, you would sit in bed all day with the drapes drawn and under your covers, thinking, I can't try. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. You'll never get out of bed. John is saying, if you try to do more to show how good you are, that's the wrong motivation. Oh, friends, that's the wrong motivation. God didn't give a little. He gave everything so that we can already be paid up in full. If you took out a loan for $25 billion, okay, I don't know why you do that, but you did it. Okay, congratulations. Predatory lending really hitting high notes, $25 billion in loans. Can you ever pay that back in your lifetime? With no matter how hard you work, You can't ever pay it back. The interest alone will bury you. You'll be dead. You'll be gone. You can't do it. What God is saying is this. The only way you'll do good, the only way you'll serve somebody else is if you think it's a gift that's already been paid and it's been paid in full. Then you won't have to think, but I have a debt to keep paying. I have a debt to make up. I have to keep on working and kill myself so that I don't be buried. And God says, stop. It's already paid. And then you go, so, so I, don't, I don't have to work to, to do those things? No. Well, great, I don't have to work at all. I'll just kick my feet up. No, 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 no. Oh, friends, you've missed the boat then. Then you get to say, how do I do that for somebody else? Ah, see how that changes? 
Those who have been gifted much will understand the gift and therefore be generous to others. And those who haven't been gifted much will always fight, claw, and scratch for what they want because they haven't been gifted anything. How do I know that you're a Christian? You give freely. Why is that? Because you don't think you have to earn it because God's already done it for you. And if you think you have to earn it, you've missed Jesus' whole entire message. If God had an earpiece to you and he asked you to do something, would you do it without question because you know that your entire life is his to begin with, not your own? And if you say to God, God, that's too much to ask, how dare you? Oh, friends. Then you don't understand the request that was made to Jesus who said, I am the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the host of all hosts, and you're asking me to go down there and die on a cross? Ha! Do you see? Instead, he said, I'll go, and I'll give everything away so that they can have my riches. They can be heirs to my kingdom. They can be saved, not based upon what they do, but based upon what I did. Do you see? And if you've been gifted that, if that's your Lord and Savior, if that's who you submit to, Church, let me tell you, he will ask you to give up your entire life. I promise you he will. But it's because you've been gifted so much to begin with, you don't have to even consider your other life. You don't even have to consider it. Because what he's given us is so much better than what we have and what we can make. If your hearts are condemned that you can give more, don't fear not. You've been gifted everything. And if you're assured, how do I know you're assured? Oh, church, you're the most generous people in the entire world, giving things to others, just like the Good Samaritan. Christianity is so wild. I told you at the, at the beginning we have a problem. The problem is that a lot of our society thinks that the church is all for itself, and admittedly there has been problems with that. But do you know why the Good Samaritan is so scandalous? The Good Samaritan is sexually, ethnically, culturally far different than anybody that Jesus was talking to at the time. And there's salvation that comes to that story that is giving to somebody else. This person takes somebody beaten into the, 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 the bottom of, the, uh, of a pit, takes them out and gives them gifts beyond compare. Pays for their medical expenses, pays for their boarding, pays for food, pays for everything. And Jesus goes, that's somebody just like me. Do you see? Friends, you have the right motivation because you've been gifted something and you know you have a mission and the mission is not for your life to be better but for other people's lives to be better. Just like Christ. And that's the mission the church has. To serve, not be served. Because Christ came to serve, not be served. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.